Welcome into the Gunpreneurs Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Landon Beeman joining us for for game week. We got some. We got Alabama playing, facing off against Miami in Atlanta. Playing some young jot there for you on the intro. A little Atlanta rap for you guys coming in with the game being in the A. Uh, Lester, the Braves are hot. We're not going to talk any baseball. No baseball free podcast until maybe the playoffs. Maybe the playoffs, but. Uh, Red Sox are sucking, so I don't want to talk about it. Um, but uh, Lester wants to talk to Brace. He can get his own podcast. But, uh, Landon, what's going on, man? Been a while since you've been on. What you've been up to? Yeah, man, been a while. Been a while. Just been hanging out, chilling, just being getting ready for football, getting a little ready for football tonight, watching the uh, UAB Blazers and the Jacksonville State Cox go at it. That's right. Yeah, UAB all to a slow start because you know that we're actually recording while the game is going on. UAB just scored a couple of minutes ago to make it seventeen to nothing. Uh, but yeah, slow start for the Blazers, but looks like they're uh, they're coming on strong, going to finish strong in this game down in Crampton Bowl, Montgomery, Alabama. About maybe thirty minutes from where I'm at right now, recording this podcast. But uh, you know, guys, week zero, you know, it had some some interesting topics. You know, with the Illinois upsetting Nebraska. I mean, I guess. Technically, it was an upset, even though Illinois is by far the better team. They were a seven-point underdog at home. So, a lot of the experts in Vegas thought that Nebraska, you know, could could win by more than a touchdown or could win by a touchdown and an extra point on the road at Illinois to open the season. You know, there were some big wins. UCLA looked look good. I don't really know much about Hawaii. Uh, you know, they, they'll get battle-tested this week because they face off against LSU at home but uh you know guys before we get into talking about the games this week and I I literally thought about this question today and I just texted y'all that I was going to ask a mystery question because I wanted just an answer off the top of your heads and I'm sorry for putting y'all on the spot like this but it got me thinking with all let's I want to start with you with all the Scott Frost stuff you know everybody talking about his contract and how fat it is and how good he was at UCF and he goes to a place like like Nebraska um, you know, it got me thinking in today's college football world with the transfer rule, with the NIL coming about and, you know, just the all around new generation of kids and not, not, not I don't want to use the word soft because that's not what I'm looking for. It's just different. I mean, you know, they, they have to be coddled. These, these four and five star athletes, they have to be coddled, you know, they have to be pampered and, um, do you think that it's possible for and, – and I'm not talking about big brand names that are down right now, like maybe Michigan, USC, teams like that. I'm more so talking about teams like Nebraska, where Scott Frost is. Um, you know, they, they had a huge run in the 90s. I believe they won like three national championships. It's a tradition-rich program. You know, it, it played – it competed well in the Big 12 whenever it was there. And, um, and so I'm just asking you, is, are places like that – doomed forever with you know basically these bigger name programs creating this huge brand you know they have all this money that they can pay all the athletes now and Nebraska being where it's at could, could any coach not just Scott could any coach come in and turn that program around in this day and age of college football 
Uh, I'm not going to say that that is an impossible job to win at because, like you said, you know, Nebraska does have the pedigree. You know, granted, I mean, they haven't really been great much in my lifetime. Like, I don't have a memorable Nebraska team to, you know, bring up. And you got to think about guys who are being recruited now. You know, they were born in 2002. They don't even know what Nebraska football is. So I imagine that it's hard to get great guys there. And another thing, probably probably the main thing, in my opinion, not only – Nebraska just has so much stuff working against it. Not only do you not have a recent, you know, great pedigree to lean on or, you know, exciting teams in the past that people can lean to, but has anybody been to Nebraska here before? I haven't. But the common thing that I hear – well, I knew a chick that went that was from Nebraska – but the common thing I know about Nebraska is just freaking cornfields everywhere. Um, UCF, right. uh, uh, UCF, it's hard, it's easy to get a, a three, four-star guy there. Hey, the beach is two hours this way. Another beach is two hours this way. You can go ride roller coasters 30 minutes down the road. I mean, there's stuff to do. Like, And UCF is on TV more than freaking Nebraska nowadays. It's just – it's. UCF is just a better job. If 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 you're an up and coming coach like Scott Frost, now of course, now granted, you know you take the money, because um, he was what the hottest coach coming out. Well, that was his that year. Too. I mean, he played quarterback in Nebraska. That's his. Yeah. you know that's his Georgia that too. And Kirby Smart, you know. Right, and, and God bless him. But yeah, uh, and I think one, you know one you of know, the reasons nah. because like okay, so. Not Nick Saban right now, but Nick Saban say in 2007, if he comes and goes to a school like Nebraska, but say the college football landscape is like it is today, is it possible to turn? Because, like, you know, another thing is these kids don't stay home anymore. They will go across the country to play football because these coaches are telling them, look, dude, in three, four years, you're out on your own anyway. If you're playing in the NFL, if you're from Florida and you get drafted by the Chargers, I mean, you can't be coddled by mommy and daddy at home your whole life anyway. So you might as well come here and learn how to do it now. That way you're even more prepared whenever you do get drafted. And, uh, and so, and I, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and so a lot of these kids are going out of state to play football and, um, and that, you know, the, the recruiting base in Nebraska is just non-existent. Um, and they just, they, they just don't have a brand anymore. And, uh, and so, even if a guy like Nick Saban coming in from the NFL or whatever, and, and, and Landon, I want your input on this too. The reason I'm, I brought this up is because, I mean, I think, I think Scott, I'm not saying that Scott Frost is a bad football coach. I'm not saying he's a great one, but I don't think he's as bad as what Nebraska is. He's got this hard nosed mentality. Hey, it's my way or the highway. He gets a bunch of kids out. They had like 56 kids enter the transfer portal or whatever. But uh, I, I'm not so sure that this is all on him as much as it is just Nebraska just doesn't have anything to offer anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, Nebraska, they obviously won the three natties with Tom Osborne back in the day. And, you know, then they went through the era of Bo Pelini. And Bo Pelini actually did a really good job at Nebraska. You know, sometimes he made actually the – Big 12 title game. Matter of fact, I think we all remember Texas kicking the game-winning field goal to beat Nebraska in the Big Big 12 title game to go on to play Alabama in the national championship. I mean, and 
Bo Pelini was fired at Nebraska for basically consistently being eight and four, nine and three. I mean, he had like a 70, 75% win percentage there and he was fired after he was fired and he went, made a bowl game every year. I think he went, I think he went eight, nine straight seasons making bowl games. So they fire him and hire Alabama's finest, uh, Mike Riley. He wins two, uh, goes uh, ball eligible twice there and then has a poor four and eight season. He's fired. Well, then they hire Scott Frost and Scott Frost in a matter of three, this is year four for Scott Frost. This guy can't win six games. And I mean, you can't tell me Nebraska was just in that bad of shape due to one four and eight season by Mike Riley. So in my opinion, there's a lot of Nebraska fans that I think the problem is They've tried to find that next Tom Osborne or that next Nick Saban, thinking that they, you know, found Scott Frost. Because Scott Frost coaches one year at UCF, he goes six and seven, because he's coming off an 0-12 season from UCF uh, that the previous coach had. He goes 13-0, and then he gets hired not by Nebraska. So the biggest thing, in my opinion, with that is he he's doing better in recruiting at Nebraska. Nebraska's recruiting has gone up, but then – he lost like one of his best players to Kentucky, a guy named Wondell Robinson, Alabama actually recruited him. He goes and transfers from Kentucky. You got all these guys leaving. And then after you lose to Illinois with backup quarterback and Brett Belima's in year one, two at Illinois. And as we all know, Illinois has also been in the dumpster. I don't think Illinois has been good since Juice Williams was quarterback in for him in 07. So Mike, Lo- I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, Brett Belima is on the same page as Scott Frost, basically, at a program that you could say was worse in Nebraska, and he's out there out coaching him. And after the game, Scott Frost said something along the lines, and y'all probably saw it on Twitter, that Illinois lined up one way, and when they lined up this way, basically me as a head coach, I had no idea how to adjust. Yeah, see, and I don't have an excuse for that. I think that's that's god-awful. You can't say that. Even if it's true, you can't say that. Because, you know, they're, they're going to hang on to every word you're saying and absolutely. people are listening to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Nebraska and as far as where they're located and everything like that, I mean, it is going to be tougher to get those high-level recruits and, every, and everything like that. So, I mean, the biggest thing is Nebraska, in my opinion, you know, and especially with Scott Frost, because I'm not saying the guy's a bad coach or anything like that, but – you got to win at least six games. You got to take these these guys to be bowl eligible. I mean, you're in year four. I mean, I know you don't got, you know, the cream of the crop talent like Alabama or, or Georgia or anybody like that, but you, you can you give me six wins? I mean, I don't think six wins in year four at Nebraska is too much to ask. But is it possible to turn them around? That, that's what and I'm I, I got another point about that, too. Yeah, not necessarily Scott Frost. I'm just talking about like any coach because, I mean, you know, Nebraska is number eight in all time wins. And, and all of college football. I mean, these guys have been good for over a century. And you know, yeah. But what's your what's your definition of turning them around? Like, well, okay. But, um, but let's just say get into the playoff. Well, let's just start there. Get into the, the college football playoff. Yeah, like, not not at twelve teams. teams. I'm talking about four. If it, like, let's just no, say it's, that's it's not that 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 can't be your realistic goal for Nebraska. Look, look, look. How many coaches have been fired from SEC schools since Nick Saban has been here? Sixty. I don't. It's it's been a lot, and that number is. Is it really that much? It, it's, it's, it's 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 shameful. It's astronomical for no reason. Look, there is 
in every facet of life, there is a divide. The great, the average, and the freaking losers. And it's ever more present in college football. Nebraska, you're not going to be in Alabama. You're not going to be uh, Ohio. That's just not – you shouldn't put those expectations on a coach. You should not at all, point blank period, because that's not where you're at anymore. Times have changed. You're not the only team being on you know national TV like a Notre Dame was back in the day. Like, th- that's just not the reality nowadays. Now, sure, you can find your Nick Saban and get him to go to Nebraska. Well, guess what he's going to do? He's going to bolt the first chance he gets at another good job. Like, your goal should be to, number one, be bowl eligible. Don't come in here, stink up, you know, go two and ten or four and eight or what. Don't do that. Be bowl eligible every year. And you know what? Maybe once every three or four years you upset a big team or you win ten games or – you're in the playoff talk for a couple weeks. You know what I mean? These teams have got to quit expecting people to, oh, he's going to change around. He's going to take the playoff. No, you're, he's not. I don't care who you are. You're not Alabama. You're not Clemson. You're not, Ohio, you're not none of those top 10 teams who have a chance yeah. at cracking that. Well, that's the that's people in the ministry. I don't care. And, and you know what? Nothing too. Last thing about this the fans of these teams who push it to fire this guy, fire that guy, how about they pony up and care a little bit more about the program? You know why Alabama's number one every year? Because the fans, the alumni, the boosters, they will sell their soul to do anything for Alabama to be great. Just like the SEC, the South, the SEC, Alabama, they care more than everybody else. So until you get their fans, Nebraska, do the same, it ain't going to matter. You're going to be average at best. Oh, and that's why I brought up Bo Pelini is because he was taking them ball eligible every year, winning nine games, eight games, and stuff like that, going to a Big 12 championship game, and they fired him. He was Gus. Yeah, he was Gus. Yeah, you're right. He was Gus. He was Gus Malzahn, basically. And and they fired him. So, what what do you want? And that's the thing. And that's because Nebraska, you know, whenever Bo Pelini was coaching, they were, you know, closer to the time where they had won three national championships in a decade. Um, but thing is, I mean, the facility upgrades haven't been there. The the fan support, like Lester's talking about, hasn't been there. And because uh, thing is, I mean, when, dude, when you're recruiting to schools like this, and let's not even say get in the playoff. Let's just say get back on their historic trend of winning, you know, nine, ten games a year. Because traditionally, over the last century, that's about what Nebraska has been: eight, nine, ten wins a year. Um, and uh, and so even to take that, you can't get one good recruit. You can't get two or three. You've got to get 10. You know what I'm saying? When Nick Saban came in in, in 2008 and he got, you know, Mark Ingram and Mark Barron and Julio, I mean, he got a whole bunch of studs and he continued that recruiting success because that's where it starts. What about Nebraska right, right now is appealing to a 17-year-old high school kid? I can't think of one thing. Like, like y'all were talking about, it's out in the cornfield. There's nothing to do. The city sucks. There's nothing around it. It's cold. I, I, I mean, what is there to do? Like, what is appealing to a high school kid about Nebraska? Huh. I don't know. Let's ride around looking at some cornfields. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's fun in Lincoln, Nebraska. Let's go bowling or fishing or I don't know. I have no idea. I've never heard of anybody talking about hot chicks being in freaking Lincoln, Nebraska. That's another thing. Uh, so, <laughs> I, 
I'm just being honest. I, I don't know what you can sell from that program. I guess you're three I don't know, Lester. What about the overalls they wear at the games? You've seen them overalls yeah. and Nebraska fans wear? Yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, shoot, nobody else is going to offer you a scholarship, Mr. Three Star, so you might as well come money, on here. What money can they – what money can they give for the NIL as far as NIL? Like what kind of boosters support that program to where they can, they can pay, you know, one point, whatever million dollar deals for kids that they want, because that's going to be a huge factor in recruiting. They might not be able to come out and say it, but they're, they're, I guarantee you head coaches a bit. Look, you know, our freshman class as a whole made, you know, $10 million last year as a group, you know, you come in, you can be a part of that ball. I guarantee you that'll be used in recruiting. And so in Nebraska, they have nothing to offer. So that's back to my original point. With that NIL being the motivating factor in this, are, will, are teams like Nebraska, uh, Tennessee is another one that's up there. They have like 860 all-time wins. They're like top 15 or something like that. Uh, teams like that, are they ever going to be relevant again? Do they have enough money? And, and you know, and because, I mean, you look at the top five or six, why would you go anywhere else? Like even when Nick Saban leaves, it's still Alabama. You're still, hey, those boosters aren't going anywhere. You see what I'm saying? And, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you get taken care of for life and everything like that. You know, when you choose a school like an Alabama or like an LSU or something like that where, you know, you got they got the pedigree, and even if football doesn't work out for you, you know, you're still taken care of in that state as far as maybe getting a job. And I'm just saying this is just if football don't even work out for you. You know, you're talking about a job one day and things like that, and, you know, Maybe that's something that we we can offer, whereas someone like that, you know, necessarily can't to that extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, I, so I think Tennessee will be good one day again. I mean, I, that's just part of it because I think they do care if they can get out their own way, they can do great things. But I, I think as long as you have those hyper charismatic coaches like a Kirby Smart or a Will Muschamp. You know those big Robert Adabo Sweeney. As long as you have guys like that going to inferior programs like a Tennessee, like Jer- oh, Jeremy Pruitt, perfect example. No, the only reason he was getting the guys that he was getting at Tennessee is because that's just he's that dude. He will do anything for his players. He's cheating. So I, that too, that too. <laughs> hey, you got to do what you got to do. He still so, and he still so. Yeah, but like like the Henry T situation. If any other coaches at Tennessee besides Jeremy Pruitt, he's at Alabama. He he never would have went anywhere else. You know what I mean? But as long like I said, as long as you got coaches that'll, you know, that rah rah and you know, I'll ride roller coasters with you like Kirby Smart, those guys will always get players that they maybe shouldn't get. So I don't know if you pair one of those guys with the right situation or whatever. I I can see a school turn around and being good one day. But Scott Frost is about as I don't know. Exciting as an inch ruler to me. So, I mean, I don't know. More interesting than Brian Harson. Yeah, that too. All right. Anything else going on this week? Oh, yeah. Game week. Okay. <laughs> Getting into some football talk, guys. You know, it's, it's been a long time. Alabama wins its 18th national championship back in January, defeating Ohio State 52 to 24, beat their ass. Alabama, you know, losing eight starters on offense. Uh, I, I count seven because I count Chris Owens. I mean, he started the national championship. I mean, what more do you want out of a starter than starting the biggest game of the season? And so I count him as a starter, so I'll just say seven. Almost the entire defense is back. 
Um, defense is phenomenal. I don't want to talk about the defense because I, as good as De'Eric King is, well, you know, we'll start with it. Landon, give me a quick synopsis of what you think this defense will be on Saturday. Not necessarily as a whole throughout this season, but, you know, stopping De'Eric King because probably I, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't really know a lot about Haynes King at Texas A&M, but I, I don't think you're going to see a quarterback better than De'Eric King this season. Matt Corral will be good. Kiffin's always going to have a good game plan against Alabama. Um, and I mean, JT Daniels, I still got to see it against a good team. You know, he, he, he went four and starts last year, but you know, they were kind of against shit opponents. So, uh, I'm still not buying into that hype quite yet. Um, plus, you know, they got a lot of injuries out there with their weapons. And so, uh, I'm, I want to say that Derek King's going to be the best quarterback Alabama will see. And they got to see him week one when they've had all this time, all, all season to prepare, so uh, tell me what you think you're going to get from the Alabama defense against this Miami offense. With our whole linebackers, then – we had injury situations, had to start, you know, Christian Harris and Shane Lee in 2019. I mean, we all know the story. And now we finally got four guys and Christian Harris, Henry Toa Toa, Will Anderson, and uh, Chris Allen that are really experienced guys that can – are that, in my opinion, they're the foremost as a unit, the most athletic linebackers in the whole country, just as a complete, complete unit. And I think Alabama has the deepest linebacking core from strings one through three in the whole country. Um, so, in De'Eric King, you know, st- stopping him with our defense, in my opinion, will be – it'll be a challenge for somewhat. Uh, you know, De'Eric King's a six-year guy. I mean, he, the guy took his very first snap in college football the same year Jalen Hurts did. So, he's been around football for a while. And so, if you're Miami, you know, what's your approach really to our defense? And, uh, you know, you got you to gotta take your shots. Pound, pound the middle and just, you know, because obviously, you know, Rhett Lashley is their OC. So, and we all, we're all familiar with Rhett Lashley. He's beat Auburn. Well, you know, Derek King is going to have to kind of test the waters, especially coming off a torn ACL. And the thing is, I don't know how mobile he will be, especially sideline to sideline. And if Will Anderson and Chris and, uh, Chris Allen are out there, I I pity him because this may be the only defense De'Eric King faces all year that poses linebackers that can run him down. Whereas, you know, in the ACC, you're maybe not going to find some guys like we have. So I expect big things out of, out of our defense, especially our line, especially our linebacking core for our game against Miami this Saturday. You're telling me that James Skowski from Clemson can't run down to Eric King, the big neck? Oh, jeez. Well, no, no, he wouldn't run him down. He'd just get called for targeting. And yeah, he'd spear him in the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> you got to know that tackle. <laughs> but, uh, Lester, um, you know, offensively for Alabama, nobody's really knowing what to expect. They've shown some stuff in the uh, in, in the, the scrimmages that they've had. Um, you know, there's – some nobody really knows what's going on with Jaleel Billingsley. Nobody knows how much playing time he's going to get. Nobody knows how what his availability will be. Um, 
you know, looks like Brian Robinson's going to get the start. I expect him to run out a trio of running backs, uh, Jace McClellan, D-Rob, and, and, and uh, Trey Sanders. Um, you know, receivers, uh, you got Mitch. He's the experienced leader. Then you got Jameson Williams, who's unproven. Um, you know, JoJo Earl, Slade Bolden. You really don't know what the rotation is going to be with the young guys. And Bryce Young, you know, brand new quarterback coming in, getting his first start. Uh, he, he, you know, everybody saw his high school film, saw how good he was coming out of high school. He showed flashes last year whenever he did get to throw the ball, but he wasn't put in very good situations. So, you know, he, he's it, there's going to be some nerves there, I guess. Just tell me what you expect realistically from this offense on Saturday in Atlanta. I expect um, explosiveness, a lot of explosiveness. Um, maybe not so much from the running game. Um, the O-line is, got you know, had a couple of holes to fill from last season. Um, that group is just, you know, like every year, they got a jail. But I am looking for a lot of explosiveness from the skill players. Um, not even looking for Bryce Young to be that flashy or just that extraordinary. But I'm just looking for Bryce Young to get the ball into the right hands. That's it. Whoever's open, whoever, you know, whoever's opening that window, you know, make that throw, get the ball to your skill guys and let them run, run and cause hell, wreak havoc. Um, I'm, I'm looking for just Bryce to be – I mean, we haven't said this word about Alabama quarterbacks in years, but – a game manager. You know, this guy, he's just a sophomore uh, with, what, 22 pass attempts? So, you know, I'm looking for, you know, Nick Saban, Bill O'Brien to develop a game plan just to ease him into things and just, you know, quick throws, you know, take a couple shots here and there, but just basically get the hands, get the ball into the hands of the playmaker. That, that's what I'm looking for. Um, then again, in that same breath, I'm expecting him to have a couple touchdowns and probably toss for uh, in between 275, 300 yards. Well, damn. Okay. I, I mean, I don't see them stopping us. Eh, it, manage I mean, the game, manage the game, throw for, eh, you know, 650, seven touchdowns. Hey, you know, Baker Mayfield numbers. It's it you could if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think Bryce will be okay. I, I do expect some mistakes. I don't expect him to go out there and play a perfect game. And I think that's going to be hard for Bama fans because, guys, I mean, Lester, me, you and J-Law talked about, I don't know if Landon's been listening to the podcast, but, you know, last year, dude, we, we were pissed whenever Mac threw an incompletion, much less an interception. Whenever he threw the ball incomplete, we were like, dude, what's going on? Like, do we need to get a new guy in there? I mean, what's happening here? Mac spoiled us so much. And really before that, it was Tua, you know, with his pinpoint accuracy. Of course, he made some stupid-ass throws, um, but his accuracy was still on the money, you know, 95% of the time. And so you've had two back-to-back, three years of accurate quarterbacks. And, and, you know, I'm not saying Bryce is not accurate, but, you know, if he he starts the game, whatever, three out of six, (laughs) I mean – you know, three out of seven, four out of nine, four out of eight, you know, there's going to be some idiots on Twitter talking about maybe this ain't the guy. Whatever. I look for some nerves to, to take part early in the game, um, but I look for Alabama to settle down. You know, it's much like they do. I think, you know, besides maybe 2018 and 2020, I mean, it seems like we started 
these week one games pretty slow for the most part. Not every single one, but it seems like for the most part, we start these opening games slow against these big opponents. We kind of th- get a feel for the game. Then they, in the second half, they explode or late in the first half, you know, much like the 52 to six game against USC in 2016. But uh, I think Bryce will be okay. I don't expect him to have a completion percentage over 75%. I don't expect him to throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. You know, he might throw a pick. I think that's fine. He's just, you know, he's getting nerves out. He's got really, um, you know, if he can get through Miami, he's got the Mercer game. Then he's got to go to the Swamp. And by then, that's when you need to have a confident quarterback that's, you know, capable of making all the throws. But, you know, Landon – uh, looking at Miami's defense, Manny Diaz is going to actually call the defense as, 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 you know, to go along with his head coaching duties. Do you see this as a good thing for Miami? Because I do not agree with that. I, I can see offensively, you know, calling plays because there's been some coaches that are successful that like Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin. Um, but you don't see a lot of head coaches also being the defensive coordinator. You know, he was just fed up with his defense last year. So he was like, screw it. I'll do it myself. So do you think this is going to help or hurt the Canes? Boy, doesn't that sound like somebody we know except on the offensive side of the ball? Remember him? Oh, old, old Gus? Old Gus. Sounds like we got us a Gus Malzahn down in down in Miami on the defensive side. Yeah, but, but it's uh, yeah. so much harder to call defenses than offenses. Yeah. So much Absolutely. harder. Yeah. Absolutely, especially on the fly with tempo and everything like that. But, you know, I remember Manny Diaz defenses even at Mississippi State. Uh I mean, obviously, remember the game where we basically didn't have a linebacker and Jalen had to – Jalen and Devontae hooked up for that game-winning touchdown. But, and the reason being is because throughout the whole game, Manny Diaz, when he calls a defense, he's very aggressive. And on that play, he sent the damn house and Devontae catched the slant route and touchdown. So – but Miami's defense, you know, this year, I mean, last year they lost quite a bit of production. I mean, Jalen Phillips – first-round pick, Gregory Rousseau, first-round pick, Quincy Roche went rounds four through six. They were number four in the country in tackles for loss. Uh, both Phillips and, and Roach, they were in the top 25 individually in tackles for loss. So they've lost a lot of guys in the front seven, and these are the same guys last year that when they played a North Carolina team gave up, what was it, 600, 700 yards rushing? I think they're to, still. I think they're still running the ball. Yeah, I mean Michael Carter, Javante Williams. I mean you're talking about yeah. two NFL caliber backs, and Alabama's got five of those on the roster. Yep. So, you know, and defensively, you know, Miami returns nine starter caliber players. I'm not going to say nine total starters, just nine guys that have kind of played, you know, here, there, and but a lot of those guys are in the secondary, and then they added transfers like Tyreek Stevenson from Georgia, DeAndre Johnson from Tennessee. But they're very thin in the front in the front seven, and that is my concern. You know, Alabama breaking a new quarterback, what's the best way to get a quarterback comfortable is to, you know, get that run game going, get the run game going, open up play action, and then by, you know, by the first quarter, the whole offense is open, and then what are you going to do? So my thing with Miami is just this, in my opinion, is a bad matchup for them. As far as playing, playing a team like Alabama – that's extreme – it's very physical in the trenches, which is why last year, you know, Miami's struggling with Clemson, North Carolina, you know, guys that are, that are kind of physical guys, and Alabama's more fit, more even more physical to them. So, it's going to be a real challenge. So, their defense, you know, you, can, you you're going to sell out for the run. That's fine. But 
Bryce Young is very good enough. He's going to hit receivers. I mean, this isn't this isn't Greg McElroy quarterback. And then if you you know you're going to play back, then fine. Our offensive line is going to absolutely motorgrade your front seven, and we're just going to hand it off to uh, Brian Robinson, Jace McClellan, Trey Sand. I mean, pick your poison. It you know that's the that's the thing here. So I don't think it's a good idea for I mean it. Manny Diaz, we call it a defense because, you know, what kind of identity you're setting for your team, your head coach, and we doing the defensive coordinator duties. And it never – it really goes well. I've never heard people do that. It actually turns out to be positive. And if it has, I'm unaware, but I've never heard of that happening and it turns out to be a positive thing. Yeah, and I look for him to maybe bring some more guys in the box or maybe bring some blitzes off the edges. And uh, if Bryce can recognize that early – um, then it can just open up the RPO and the quick passing game. And I think our receivers are good enough to beat man coverage. I don't care who you are. I still think there's talent in the receiver position. Sure, we lost, you know, Jalen Devonta, but I think Mechie's good enough. I think Jameson Williams is really good. I think JoJo Earl is really good. Slade, not so much as far as one-on-one coverage. I think he's more of a zone, kind of find the hole and sit down guy. Uh, but I think JoJo can beat man-to-man coverage. And Ja'Cory Brooks as well, Javon Baker. You know, there, there's plenty of guys. And, of course, if one isn't working well, you can just go to another one. There's a lot of depth there as well with, you know, four receivers coming in, being true freshmen. But, um, you know, Lester, uh, let's go ahead and give some uh, some score predictions for the Miami game. Um, go ahead go ahead and break it, break down anything you haven't broken down yet that you want to, that you want to say about the game and give us a score prediction. Yeah. Um... I think that the defense is going to be outstanding. Um, from two years ago to Nick Saban watching, you know, two freshman linebackers have to take the field all season long, to probably the most – I think I read, a, I read a tweet where this is the most experienced defense as far as, like, snap play that Nick Saban has ever had. Um, I don't think Derek King is going to be able to do much. Um, I'll give Miami 23 points because, you know, of course, the late score – on the twos or whatever, but I totally expect them to score in the high 30s, low 40s. I'm going to say 41-23. And I think I, that that doesn't even cover. Um, but, you know, of course, Nick Saban wants the games, you know, taken care of. He's going to put it in his back pocket and piss everybody off. But, um, yeah, a couple big plays. Um Completely dominating performance on both sides of the ball, especially on the defensive side. I'm going to say 41-23. Yeah, I don't think they get a cover either. And I think just about everybody you talk to that gives a score prediction um, with any knowledge of the two teams is going to say something, you know, upper 30s, lower 40s to to mid-20s. And I see it being the same thing. I see 38-21 to 21, Alabama. Um I think the score at halftime, Alabama could have as little as 10 points. I think that they really get it going in the second half. Uh, I think it's it's a prototypical first game for Nick Saban. You know, it kind of fills it out or whatever. I mean, I could be wrong. They come out – they could come out and throw a 75-yard bomb in the first play. Uh, you know, nobody's really seen Bill O'Brien's offense in game action. You've seen stuff from the scrimmages. Uh, you've seen certain packages. But, you know, they're going to put in packages for Miami uh, that maybe we haven't seen. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I see it, I see it 38-21. Um, I think Derek King can make plays, but, you know, Landon brought up a good point about that knee. You know, he's, he has not tested it out in a game situation yet. He hasn't been hit in practice. Uh, he hasn't hit the last hit he took was the hit where he got his ACL torn. So whenever you see 31 and four bearing down in your ass, it's a lot different than, you know, stepping up in the pocket, wearing that orange Jersey in practice when you know, and nobody can touch you. So, uh, 
so yeah, that's you know, I'm not saying he's gonna get a deer in the headlights look because you know this is this he's played a lot of football. Um, but you know, he might start favoring a little bit. And if he starts favoring it, I think he can make some bad throws. His head's gonna be on his body and not on what on his performance. And and he can make some bad throws, maybe you may you maybe give the give Alabama the ball back with some good position. But uh uh, Landon, you know, give me a score prediction. Anything else you want to break down and, and tell us what you think about the, how this game is going to go on Saturday? So I think the biggest thing with stopping King that I've noticed is even last year when a, when Miami played, you know, like Clemson, for example, you know, Clemson, Clemson handled them fairly well. They dominated the trenches because Miami's offensive line is really not that great. And the same will be said this year for them as well. And my question is, for for the Miami fan is what do you what do you do with Will Anderson and Chris Allen on tackles? You know you want to you want to establish a Rhett Lashley as the OC. You know the ba- the base you know zone read inside run, and if you can't establish that you know the ball fake and everything like that, you got the outside linebackers spying uh, King, especially coming off an ACL tear. What do you do? And you got to you got to be able to throw the ball. Well, then I, one thing no one's really talked about either is Derek King's only like five ten or five eleven. So we have a way more athletic, I want to give the guy a whole lot of credit here, basically Stetson Bennett type person at quarterback. Again, (laughs) way more, way more credit, way more credit. He's also not a good deep ball thrower. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't want people thinking that I think Derek King is Stetson Bennett because that's not even close to true. Uh, But anyway, um, so I think that's one thing that's going to be a real challenge for Miami. And, you know, every time – Miami last year, like I said, they played Clemson. You know, Clemson won very comfortably, 42 to uh, 17. And I think Alabama's game will be very similar. I have Alabama 40, Miami 17. And I just – I don't see the – you know, I'm not saying Miami can't put up points. And if they do, I I expect it to be some garbage time deal, you know, against maybe the twos or threes for Alabama. But I – I just do not see how if they can't establish some form of balance, how they're going to be able to generate offensive production in those mid twenties. In my personal opinion, that's why I have them at 17 and then Alabama at 40. Cause I mean, like y'all said, we always start slow and the, I say slow. We don't, I mean, even last year when we played Missouri game one, we've won like what 38 to 19 or something like that. I mean, and we that game was over with a halftime, and it's like we Saban just kind of takes off the brakes and he just kind of goes into cruise control with it. And and I understand first game, you know, but breaking in a new quarterback, I, I expect the running game to be really really effective. Um, and I expect Bryce to play well, like Chase said. I expect a little mis- some mistakes here and there, uh, because I I don't expect him to play perfect. Uh, but that's part of it, you know, growing. But it's, you know, just first game of the year, so no big deal. But yeah, forty seventeen. I, uh, I I asked this, I sent y'all this question to to think about it before we started recording the podcast. Um, if, if there's a, a regular season game that Alabama's going to lose, are the only two chances basically realistically Florida and A and M both on the road? Lester or Landon, uh, you know, is that is that about it? Did, can LSU give them a fight? You know, LSU returns eighteen starters. I get that. Um, and I think LSU is going to be good. I think they're a sleeper team. But, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, you get LSU at home. So, A&M on the road, Florida on the road, LSU at home. Is that about the only three? If Alabama was going to lose a regular season game, of course we don't want them to. But if they were going to lose a regular season game, 
Which one would it be, Landon? Which one are you picking? I, I, I'm about to pick. I'm gonna pick Texas A&M if I were to pick. Um, and just because I, I trust Jimbo Fisher to beat Nick Saban more so than Dan Mullen. If I had to just sit there and just kind of pick, uh, I, I like Texas A&M return, returns a lot more. Their only question really is, in my opinion, offensive line. Um, I, I sometimes I, I do question uh, though the the Jimbo Fisher offense and how sl- kind of slow he likes to go. Uh, I say slow, not I don't mean like really slow, but it just seems in the sense of urgency with A&M. But that could have been just because of Kellen Mond. I don't know. You know, I haven't seen Haynes King take a snap or anything like that. So, but if I had to pick one, it would definitely be A&M in College Station. I, the hostile environment like that. If I just had to pick one, so yeah, that'd be definitely Texas A&M. Lester, what do you think? If Alabama was going to lose a regular season game, where is it at on the schedule? Um, I think it'll be Ole Miss. I mean, bringing in Matt Corral, um, who has been a consensus top, you know, five, at least top, you know, three, four, five returning quarterback in the SEC. You know, some people have him have him as the best returning quarterback in the SEC. Um, him paired with Kiffin, you never know what that guy's going to do. Um, I, I think if there's a slip-up, Kiffin trying to score 70 with Bama because that's the only way he knows he can win a ball game against, you know, his daddy, Nick Saban. So, you know, and of course, you know, Kiffin being the supreme asshole he is, he's going to yeah. try to make Saban have a stroke on the sidelines. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would think it would be Ole Miss because that's just, that's just typical how a loss goes, just – a team you're supposed to beat, something happens, flute this, flute that, this wild-ass play, like, you know, the other – like the two games with Hugh Freeze, I mean, yeah. come on. That that would that would be some stuff that would happen. It literally takes an act of God for Alabama to lose a football game. And when they've lost, it's kind of sort of been one of those things. So You, were, you are really right this. about that. Like, it's not – when Alabama loses, it's like – the, the weirdest it's shit. Like the, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like well, it's like you know, quarterback doesn't just drop back to pass, take a three step drop, throw to point A. You know, point A receiver scores. It's it's like quarterback takes three step drop, turns three backflips, and then throws a sidearm pass, hits off somebody's helmet. Guy grabs it and it's touchdown, and you're just sitting there with a WTF moment. We talked about it, it, that, Lester, in the in the Gump Runners group text the other day that Alabama has been beaten, what, 2018 in the Natty. And even if you want to make the argument that Loxley had been out the door, he didn't help us at all there. Um, they beat us straight up. And then maybe 2014 Ole Miss, they beat us straight up. Other than that, I mean – yeah. I mean, even the Ohio State game. I mean, Blake Sims puts it in the linebacker's chest. He runs down the sidelines. Sean Dion goes out for Reggie Raglan or goes in for Reggie Raglan, gets cracked on Zeke's 85-yard tutty run. I mean, oh, it's just stuff that yeah. is uncharacteristic for Alabama. Um, and that's what's crazy, how close Alabama is to about four more national championships. And that's what people don't understand. You know, they want to see the the six and 12 years or whatever it is, but they don't realize that that could easily be nine or ten which is absurd. I mean, you know, we were talking the other day, the LSU game in 2019, Tua fumbles on the 10. He throws a pick right before half. They had the crazy play where uh, Thaddeus Moss went out of bounds and came back in and they ruled that Javon pushed him out. Um, yep. you, you know. Kiffin left us. Yeah, Kiffin left us in, in, what was that, 2015 or 2016? 
Um, yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Mac yeah. Jones throws two random pick sixes in Jordan Hare, one of which hits off Najee Harris's ass, and it goes yep. for 99 yards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and that's and that's how it is. But, I mean, you know, as far as the, the team that Alabama is going to lose to, Florida, it's just there, there's one common factor when you when you beat an Alabama team, and that's elite quarterback play. Sure, there's some fluky stuff, but, like, Chad Kelly had Alabama's number in 2015. Um, you know, just everybody, you know, T-Law had it. It's just Alabama elite quarterbacks beat Alabama. Johnny Manziel, you know, you, you name the quarterbacks that have beaten Alabama, even Steven Garcia in 2010, he was elite that day. He wasn't elite for his career, but that day he was elite. He's like 17 out of 20. So I had not seen Haynes King play. I heard a lot of good stuff about him. He might be a good player. I had to see it first. Um, I have no faith, even being at home in a crazy environment like the swamp, I have zero faith that Emory Jones can do any kind of damage with his feet or his arm to Alabama's uh, defense. Because like Derek King, he's a better runner than he is thrower, but he can still throw the football a, a decent amount. Emory Jones has no chance at throwing the football, um, especially against a, a lockdown secondary like Alabama. And they lost, you know, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts. They lost hella playmakers on the edge as well. I don't see that game unless Bryce just hands him the ball two or three times, you know, then, which I mean, it's possible. Sure. You're playing on the road. There's a lot of noise. Uh, it's his first big test on the road, uh, not in a neutral site. And then, you know, LSU at home, I think Max Johnson's better than Miles Brennan anyway. And I think that Miles Brennan going down was a blessing in disguise for LSU. Now, Matt Johnson goes down, you're screwed because TJ Finley's backing up Bo Nix at Auburn. So, uh, so you, you damn sure have quarterback problems if Max Johnson goes down. But, you know, he led him in the swamp last year to a win right before the SEC championship game. And I know Marco Wilson helped him out. But, uh, you know, they still went down and won that game. And, and so I think LSU has a crazy amount of talent. I don't see them coming into Tuscaloosa and beating Alabama. And you saw what it takes to beat Alabama at home in 2019. It took the second best team, college football team of all time, and some crazy plays from Alabama, you know, just handing them the ball when they're going in on the 10-yard line and then right before half throwing a pick in their own 20 or whatever it was. So I had to see it. Yeah, I had to see Haynes King, and I don't see it being Florida. I would have to pick A&M like Landon did. I'd have to pick A&M. Um, you know, Ole Miss, we get them a home too. Once again, I got to see it from the defense. Uh, I got to see that their defense is improved because if it's not, I, you know, I mean, Alabama could have run the ball every play last year if they wanted to and still put up 60-plus points on Ole Miss. And uh, another thing, I, I don't know who was the MVP for Ole Miss that game. I don't know if it was Matt Corral or Dylan Moses because that guy just absolutely murdered us on defense. I, I can answer that. It was Ole Miss's center. I mean, dude, Dylan Moses was three <laughs> steps too slow in that game last year. And, you know, I, I know what the knee problem that he had. It makes sense now. But, I mean, you, you upgraded tremendously at that spot. And eight doesn't have to do it on his own this year. Ten's right there. And if he's not better than eight, then I, I, I think he is. I think he is. From, from some of the stuff I've heard out of Tuscaloosa, he's the best linebacker on the roster. And, you know, of course we'll see in two days or whatever. But uh, <clears throat> but anyway, I'd have to go with AM on the road just because in the environment you get a hundred. You know, another thing, guys, they just played a full year 
with 20% capacity in most places. You know, I think at max, it was like 50% in some places. You know, now you get 100%. You got to face 110 or whatever in Aggie Stadium. You know, that, this place is going to be freaking rocking. But, uh, yeah, I look at to be for it to be A&M as well if they were going to lose one. Um, lastly, guys, I know this is an Alabama-based podcast, but, I mean, we're pretty realistic, guys. Maybe not Lester so much. Let's give some – Lester, and Lester, I want to start with you on this. Let's give some realistic – I'm going to say it again. Realistic, I guess, in your opinion, realistic expectations for Auburn this season. What do you think their record's going to be? How do you think their team looks under first-year head coach Brian Harson? Uh, be gentle. All right. <laughs> or not. Or not. Uh, I'm going to say seven and five. There you go. Um, 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 I want to say six and six, but I, I'm not very confident in that seven and five because I think they're going to get a couple games forfeited because of COVID for obvious reasons. Um, I. I, I think they're going to win the games that they're hopefully supposed to win. You know, of course, they're going to beat up on Akron, and um, if they play a team like Vandy or Lester, they're, they're going to win those games. But if they run against a team with, you know, that's somewhat decent, I think they struggle. Um, they're not going to beat Georgia. They're not going to beat Alabama. Um, I, I, I just – I have no faith in Brian Harson because I don't know what he's done. I've, I've never seen him before. I've never seen him coach a football game. And I don't have faith in Bo Nix as a quarterback. Um, yeah, he beat Alabama Iron Bowl, you know, his freshman year. Yada, 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 build him a statue right beside Bo Jackson and Charles Barkley and whoever else the hell they got down there. But I don't have faith in him. Um, and TJ Finley, uh, the guy transferred from LSU, probably isn't much better. Although I think he does deserve a shot to prove what he can do when the lights come on, so that's that's just my prediction. I'm gonna say seven and five if they play all of their football games, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got. As about as gentle as I can put it for right now. Uh, you know, Auburn. I think their losses that you can just about book it right now. You know, of course, injuries can play. This is, called, this is football. It's contact sport. People get hurt all the time. I'm pretty sure nobody thought in 2019 at the beginning of the year and, and late August, early September, that Auburn would beat Alabama, but they did. Um, I think their losses right now, Alabama at home, Georgia at home, and on the road at A&M. Uh, if we're sitting here saying that A&M could be the team that upset Alabama, then they damn sure can beat Auburn at home. Uh, now, they're questionable games. This is going to make or break their season because right now, if you win all the questionable games, you finish nine and three. I think that is the absolute ceiling for this team. I think it would take an act of God to win nine games. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think nine and three is, I, I mean, at the very, very best, very, very best. They're questionable games, and it's more than just one. It's at LSU. It's at Penn State week three. And, you know, Penn State's not that great of a football team, but like we said, the environment. I mean, Bo Nix just went through a whole year of playing on the road in front of 20% capacity. Now he's got to go up to Happy Valley and listen to 110,000 during a whiteout. I mean, that place is going to get crazy. Now the team might not be that good, but we don't really know the mental capacity, the mental stage right now of Bo Nix. He's kind of a head case. So, We'll see how he reacts in that environment. Um, 
you know, Ole Miss at home. They play Ole Miss at home. And if Lester's picking Ole Miss to beat Alabama, then, you know, I, it, once again, if Ole Miss can find any kind of defense, I think Ole Miss can score on just about anybody. And so Ole Miss, you just never know. And here's another one for me. At Arkansas, I don't think Arkansas is going to be, you know, slouches this year. I think they got K.J. Jefferson, a really good quarterback. Traylon Burks have got explosive players on the edge. I think they've got an experienced defense. I think they finally have an SEC-caliber defense. I don't think it's like Alabama or Georgia, but it's not Vandy-type anymore. Uh, You know, they've got a very serviceable defense. And, you know, once again, you're playing on the road. You just never know. Bo Nix has been putrid on the road. And through his first two years in college, he's been great at home. And so those questionable games, three out of four of them are at home. So you lose two of those. If you go two and two, then you're seven and five, like Lester said. You know, so I think at worst they go six and six. I don't I don't see him doing any worse than six and six. And I don't see him any better as eight and four. That's what I'm going to say. Landon, what do you think about Auburn's realistic expectations for this year and this team? I think if you're an Auburn fan, you should be very happy if Brian Harson wins you six games this year. This is my personal opinion, looking at their schedule. Dude, they've got and, talent. That's, dude, they, they've got players. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, like the positives I have for Auburn, you know, obviously Tank Bigsby's the hell of a running back. He, he is. He's a very, very, very good running Bo, back. I think Bo is improved this year. I don't think he's elite by any means, but I don't think he's as bad as we've seen him. I think he gets better. Hell, Chase, can you get worse? Uh, not on the road. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, can you get much worse than him? Than him? I mean, no, shit, I you can go up from here. His receivers do drop off. You have to think about that as well. He's throwing throwing to trash cans. Yeah. Demetrius Robertson is going to be his number one target. Yeah. That guy's on his third school for a reason. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's my – like like I said, positive for Auburn. Tank Bigsby, extremely good back. Very good back. And Zacoby McClain and Owen Papo, very good linebacking core. Auburn's got a a very solid linebacking core. But outside of that, it's just – the the problem Brian Harson is going to have is you're you're taking especially at the offensive line because Gus Malzahn, unfortunately for Mr. Harson, it did not leave him much on the O line. I think they still got that transferred defensive tackle that they converted to O line from Akron. Believe Brandon it or not, Hansel. yeah, so yeah, homecoming game for him week one. Yes, it is. So <laughs> they still got him on the O line, and you're you're transitioning from Gus's offense, however you want to describe that, to this pro-style scheme that Harson's going to run. And he's and it it's almost seems like in this guy's interviews, he's saying that they're going to have like this ground-and-pound football going on. And I just – you know, Tank to. Bigsby running against nine, ten-men boxes possibly. <laughs> I mean, how many teams are you going to have success with, with that against that? And then – you gotta, you gotta tell them, you gotta tell these defenses, hey, I need y'all to respect the play action pass with Bo Nix. I mean, there's already, there's crickets already, even on this podcast. It's just, it's tough for me, like, to just find, like you said, automatic losses at LSU, Georgia, Alabama, at A and M. Okay, so you got four, um, you got four of them there that are automatic. Yeah, okay. automatic, and then I'll get, I'll give them Akron, Alabama State, Georgia State. Penn State at Penn State, that's – I'm leaning Penn State because, obviously, hostile environment. But uh, – and I, I I like James Franklin a little more than Brian Harson. Uh, but Penn State's quarterback plays abysmal. Sean Clifford, I yeah. 
But uh, then, but then you, your teeter games, you got at Arkansas, which I'm like you. I think Arkansas is going to be much improved. And there, you can tell last year Arkansas is heading in that direction of being an improved football team. And that's what that's what Auburn fans, in my opinion, need to hope for this year. You need to try to be how, like, Arkansas last year, which Arkansas was in a way deeper state necessarily than Auburn. So, um, but you need to see that improvement. You know, not necessarily go in every game and get run off the field. And you know, be competitive. Forget, people forget that Arkansas beat Auburn last year. If the ref gets yes. the ball right with Bo Nick spiking the ball backwards, which is a right. fumble that Arkansas recovered. Arkansas right. beat Auburn on the road. Why right. No. That? Very true. And so, and then you can you get, you know, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, yeah, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. Ole Miss's defense, you know, that is what it is. Tank Bigsby could have a field day. And if Tank Bigsby is able to run the football, Auburn may be able to win a, win the game, and especially against Ole Miss. But the problem is, you know, how are you going to – you know, Ole Miss's offense is hot and cold. They were very hot against Alabama. That all of a sudden they throw six interceptions against Arkansas. So, what are you going to get? And then you get Mississippi State. Uh, obviously, we know Mike Leach, you know, one-dimensional offense. And we, and we know the defense. Rush three, drop eight. You know, if you're, how are you going to do against that? And then South Carolina, you play at South Carolina, but – South Carolina's in a bad quarterback situation. I don't know if y'all saw the other day. South Carolina's having to start a grad assistant at quarterback. They had to take a grad assistant that was a quarterback at an FCS school, and they had so many injuries. Shane Beamer had to ask him to please, you know, play quarterback. And he did so well, he won the job. I'm sure he didn't have to take much nudging. Yeah, no, I probably didn't have to take much nudging. But, but yeah, I mean – like I said, if, if Auburn wins six games, and if I was an Auburn fan, I would be happy. But we know they're not going to be. No, no, because they think they're Al- they think they're Alabama, and they should go twelve and zero. And I mean, honestly, do all dude, this other jazz. I, I think Brian Harson sounds good at the podium. Now he's not very energetic, I guess. But what coach is when they're doing weekly media interviews and press conferences? But what he talks about X's and O's wise, I can follow and I can respect. And, and I don't I think he sounds good. Um, I think his biggest problem is is on the recruiting trail. I think he's recruiting like his Boise State. And I think that, you know, with the with the guys he's bringing in now, uh, this could possibly be the most talented roster that he has. Because you got to think there's seven senior offensive linemen. They'll probably start five of them. Uh, seven senior offensive linemen, a third-year starter at quarterback, you know, a second-year starter at running back, and then you've got uh, McCreary, uh, Pritchett, um, who else? Smoke in the secondary that's a senior. Um, you know, Kaufman, the transfer from Vandy. You've got Popo's a junior. He'll probably go pro. McLean's a senior. I think Derek Hall's a junior. Uh, you know, there's a lot of experience in this in this front or this start in 22 and you're going to lose a lot of that next year and you're replacing them with guys ranked 500th overall and I get the the recruiting rankings may be a little bit off because you know there were some kids that didn't play football at all last year there are some kids they weren't able to see and so their rankings might be a little bit off but uh I'm not (laughs) I just I don't have a lot of confidence in the guys he's recruiting and the guys that they have committed so this could be his most talented team. And so if he goes seven and five, then I think Auburn might want to watch out. 
Well, you know, if we forget the rankings just for a second, hell, what about during the summer when he did the whole, hey, well, before the dead period, we were going to, you know, the big weekend where everybody has a bunch of recruits and everything like that. And he's like, nah, let's just go out west and have like a party with the family or something. I don't know what he ended up doing, but it was like, you know, like, dude, that's kind of a weekend for you to kind of search your dominance, you know, even in your own state. And you did nothing. Well, you whenever, did you have, whenever you have Big Cat Weekend, this is their big recruiting weekend, you don't even have yeah. one four-star on campus. It's just all a bunch of three-stars. And then the weekend before the dead period, Lester, you go skeet shooting. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That shows a lot of dedication. Um, I, I, I'm going to say this, too. Uh, another interesting look for, for Auburn this year is that that fan base. They are about as divided as the North and the South of 1863 regarding Bo Nicks and the general direction of that program. Um, I, <laughs> I think Bo Nicks is going to directly lose them probably three games this year at minimum because he's just going to be because of in-up quarterback play. So it's just be funny get on Twitter and, you know, half of them love Bo Nicks and – Half of them ready to see his ass get benched, so it's gonna be pretty funny. I'm, I'm looking know, forward to that. I, I've never seen a fan base like them that, and you know, obviously they could say the same for us because we obviously had Tua, and Alabama fans were obsessed with Tua, we're right. the Hawaii, the Hawaiian deal, everything like that. You know, Mac Jones and all that stuff. But hot damn, we had pretty good reason last time I checked. They were pretty good. Hell, they're about to start in their first NFL game uh, together. I say their first NFL game. Mac Jones will be his first uh, regular season NFL game uh, next week. So, I mean, but Bo Nix, for a guy that's so bad, I don't care if he beat Alabama or not, he threw for 150 yards. To hear Auburn fans talk, you would have thought the guy threw for 354 touchdowns and set the world on fire. But I've never seen a fan base just literally cradle someone's nuts like Bo Nix for being so horrible. Like, why? Like, do y'all not know elite quarterback play? Because his daddy – I've never seen anything like it. Because his daddy threw a touchdown pass to beat Alabama, duh. And he beat Alabama as a freshman. Yeah. Come on. He runs in the family, man. (laughs) I mean, you don't remember the grit grit and the determination that he had to get out of that safety last year when he's down 42-6, to and then he scrambles his ass off for the the first down. He gets up and he points. That is a freaking baller right there. That's who I want leading my team. (laughs) Buddy, if if he if he has a season, if Bo Nix put together two seasons that he's had at Auburn, but he's the quarterback at Alabama, we don't give a shit that he beat Auburn. He would have transferred because he'd be scared to go to class. Look, yeah. we don't care. We don't care if you beat Auburn. We literally do not care if you beat Auburn. Don't suck the rep. No, absolutely not. He beat Auburn, so he's immortalized that forever. But if he has that same career at Alabama as does Auburn, the entire fan base hates his guts. Right, we don't care that he beat Auburn. Mister, right all. now, right now, if you put Bo Nix in Alabama's roster, is he ahead of Jalen Milrow? No, <laughs> no. I mean, no, because 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 we've seen Bo Nix with somewhat decent skill players and he still couldn't be a halfway decent quarterback. Why why look Auburn, why was Seth Williams who was about to fight him on the sideline? 
explain that to me. Why? Why would why would that even be a possible? Why would that even happen? What did Bo Nix do to that guy to make him want to strangle him on national television? Somebody explain it to me. <laughs> because there's a reason. It's because he can't give him the damn football. That is frustrating. <laughs> Look, when you've got three receivers, Eli Stowe, Anthony Schwartz, and Seth Williams, who all could have come back. Seth went in the third round. He's already been cut. You had Anthony Schwartz going like the sixth round to return kicks for somebody. And you had Eli Stove go undrafted. If they thought that you can make them better and improve their draft stock, they would have come back and played with you. Doesn't matter if they were getting a new coach or not. And that, that told me right there. That sold me right there. I'm like, if you're willing to, you know, you're going undrafted, you're getting your grades, you're Eli Stove. And they're like, no freaking chance that you're getting drafted. No shot. You're absolutely trash. And I mean, you were like, hey, I can come back, you know, maybe I can get fifth, you know, fifth, sixth round, get a little money, whatever. And, you know, Seth Williams, hey, I can come back from my senior season, maybe get bumped up to a second, maybe a late first round pick, improve my financial, you know, situation. And, uh, but like, they're like, dude, this quarterback's not going to make me any better and they're not going to replace him with anybody. That told me right there. That's all I needed to know. That was it for me. Insane. I mean, it's, it's just going to be really funny. It's going to be real fun, really interesting. I'm um, looking forward to the season for sure. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm not very optimistic about things on the planes. All right, boys. Landon, we appreciate you hopping on here, man. Roll Tide as always. Uh, let's get after that cane ass on Saturday. Episode 40, Gunbrunners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Landon Beeman. Week one, Roll Tide. Right here. See you all next week.